Hello, welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Good to finally have football back, or at least meaningful foot meaningful football back. And today was the first match of the season for Chelsea, and they took on Everton at Goodison Park, which has been a major, major bogey ground for Chelsea. It's been had been five seasons since Chelsea went and got a win at Goodison Park. And joining me, uh, Julian, I was nice. Julian Bravo, good to talk to you again. I know we were just together a couple days ago, but man, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things around football, and now we actually get to talk about an actual match again. Yes, I think we are all super excited that football is back, and starting out with a victory is the best way to start out a season, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, I I think looking at the schedule and knowing, um, you know, what we expect, at least out of Everton this year, uh, you know, probably a bottom half table kind of team and a lot of folks even predicting them to struggle um, fighting for, you know, for to not be relegated. So um, from that standpoint, maybe somebody on paper, you think Chelsea should have no trouble getting three points, but we all know um, going to Goodison Park has just been a nightmare for Chelsea. And so, I think with, you know, looking at that first two matches with Tottenham coming to Stamford Bridge, um, you think, ah, we can get this one. But as you and I talked a little bit about a couple of days ago, you know, nothing comes for free there. And and obviously also with Lampard as manager and, and that first match of the season for the home fans, um, lots of energy in the crowd. Um, you know, I, just real quickly, kind of from, from a one match perspective, how'd you feel when you woke up this this morning over here? And, and did did you have good good feelings about it? I was still not entirely sure what to expect. I knew that this one was going to be a struggle. And then looking at the results around us, I mean, Liverpool drew with Fulham. And that just kind of demonstrates what sorts of matchups you can have on match day one, where in theory, Liverpool should absolutely destroy Fulham. But they ended up uh, dropping two points first game of the season. And it's not like we haven't dropped points early in the season. I mean, the commentators were quick to highlight the times we lost to Burnley, given Tarkowski was in the back line on that day and he was in the back line on this day. So it's always tricky. The first match, you never tell what's going to happen. And I can't say I was real surprised to see Chelsea line up in their traditional 3-4-3 under Thomas Ducal. They, you know, we saw them experiment a little bit with a back four in preseason, but that experiment was uh, not real successful, shall we say. I think we'll see that or a version of that again surely but I, I think it was kind of put back into the top drawer for a while uh or maybe even the bottom drawer and and so with our new uh big center back signing uh Koulibaly right there uh, at the left center back position he came out along with uh Silva and Aspilicueta just signed a two new two-year contract to extend with Chelsea uh, and, and Marcus Alonso left completely out um not just from selection, but apparently, uh, according to Thomas Tuchel, he asked to be left out as he prepares a move to Barcelona, which we expect to be wrapped up here in the coming days. So Reese James and Ben Chilwell filled in at uh, the two wingback positions. Uh, N'Golo Conte and Jorginho got the start in midfield with uh, Havertz, Sterling, and Mason Mount up front. So, you know, I think we're going to... We saw a little bit of Brogia today, but, I, you know, Julian, it looks like we're, at least for now, with what we've got on the roster, probably um, at least maybe even just by default going to see a lot of this sort of um, yeah, uh, non-real number nine attacking group that, that may mix in, whether you want to call one of them a false nine or what, I don't know, but but kind of more of an attacking trio, per se, than than a identified real out-and-out striker. I think this is the lineup we probably should have expected going into this match. Havertz seemed like he was dead set on being that number nine from the start of the season. 
Mason Mounts is undroppable. We'll get into his performance later today, but he was a player that you knew was going to start the first match of the season. And Raheem Sterling, our big signing in the forward position. You kind of expected all three of those to start. It was maybe a question as to who was going to start in the midfield, but this is basically the 11 I expected on paper. I still expect that there are some other signings that maybe need a little bit more time. They got some appearances, but for the most part, this is probably the best lineup we could have come out with to start this match, and no real surprises for me. Yeah, then on the Ever- Everton side of things, you know, the big big news midweek was the injury of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and with Solomon Ronda and already out through suspension, really left Everton with really no identified strikers that they could even play, let alone put on the bench. So uh, Anthony Gordon plays up top, obviously a very hardworking player, very talented player, Everton's youth player of the season and just player of the season last year. Um, Plays up front with Damari Gray and Dwight McNeil. And then kind of, I I guess, kind of a, a, a... Back five, these guys were all sort of so out of their traditional positions. Awobi, DeCorey in the midfield, and then Patterson at right wing back, and Mikolinko starts at left wing back with James Tarkowski, Barry Mina, and Ben Godfrey at the center back positions. Of course, Ben Godfrey, it was the first per, first real action of the match was 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 very difficult because we didn't really have a lot going on, and then after a ball was played what was played pretty well over the end line on a on a bad back pass Pickford tries to save it and puts it back into play and Havertz looks like he has a really good chance to create create a create a goal um but Ben Godfrey in a rush to come back to try to stop Havertz made it a kind of an awkward looking tackle and then immediately motioned for the bench and he knew he had a serious injury and uh, Julian, we had about a what about an eight minute stoppage there while Ben Godfrey dealt with a really serious injury, and that was a kind of a really deflating way to start the season. I'm sure for Everton more so than Chelsea, but from a match perspective itself, just when you're trying to kind of get get the wheels rolling, the the match took a big break there. I feel bad for Ben Godfrey. I it was a mistake in the first place, so of course he was rushing back to make up for his mistake. I I do have to say, if there's a little bit of criticism, it was a very rash challenge, and uh, obviously I feel really bad for him. I hope he makes a speedy recovery, and I appreciate the effort that he had in trying to atone for his mistake. But in addition to that, you could tell Pickford also came out worse from that play too. He was limping around, and honestly, I feel like it played a little bit of a factor in some of Pickford's issues later in that half as well, but tough to see, and I will just reiterate one more time, I really wish the best for him, hopefully a speedy recovery, hopefully nothing too bad. Yeah, absolutely. I think from what um, Frank Lampard said, it, it sounds like it's it's probably a broken ankle or a, or a broken uh, broken leg a little above the ankle. We'll, we'll, we'll wish Ben Godfrey the very best and wait and see kind of um, what what kind of timeline they they Everton gives for for his um, well di- full diagnosis and re- and um, timeline for return? But um, fi- finally the match um, gets going again, like we said, after about eight minutes, and almost immediately Chelsea gets a little bit of a chance uh, where Sterling and Mount combine on the edge of the box, and um, Pickford makes a it makes a de- decent stop to knock away a, a rebound from Sterling, and I you know. Almost nothing happens after that for 20 minutes, and and it was just really like I said, whether or not the match would have had a little more fluidity with uh, without the big injury and the deflation and kind of the stands, who knows? But um, whether it was to Chelsea's benefit or Everton's, there there was just this long stretch of play where 
where I thought both teams did very little. Um, during that time, I thought Raheem Sterling started to kind of stand out there, at least nothing really that he was accomplishing so effectively. But, man, I thought we saw a lot of really slow ball movement. Um, you know, I don't I, I don't know about you, Julian, but I sure expected to see Everton based on the, the players they had available today. Um, we knew that it was going to be a very defensive look and that we were going to have to try to, you know, break down like we often do, a very, very um, heavy, heavy, compact defense. And I just didn't see, um, to me, you got to do a couple things. You either got to move the ball really quickly around and make that defense move and create openings before they can move back to them or you've got to have players be able to either pass so well pick pick them apart or or an individual kind of take on a defender to create an opening and like we have seen a lot for a long time I thought we just saw pretty slow ball movement in and around that compact defense without really any you know lots of possession very very little threat and and at least what I saw was in Sterling was somebody who was was kind of trying sometimes by himself to to be a little bit of a, a creator through through that line rather than, um, you know, just sort of passing it around and, and hoping that, uh, you know, a defender would sort of be out of position or, or completely, you know, make a slip or something like that. And now is a good time to just kind of address the fact that this is probably one of the worst games we've seen from Kai Havertz and Mason Mounts in a Chelsea shirt altogether. You're absolutely right about Raheem Sterling. He was opening up some opportunities from his play. And that's what we brought in Raheem Sterling for. And that's one of the reasons I was a big fan of Raheem Sterling coming into the team in general, because he's an excellent dribbler and he can create some great opportunities for other players. Unfortunately, it sometimes felt like he was a little bit on an island with himself. As far as the rest of the team went, though, it looked oftentimes like we were essentially bypassing the midfields. We touched on that in our season preview that N'Golo Kante and Jorginho don't have the best chemistry of two players on this team. So seeing them kind of not always on the same page didn't help because it felt like a lot of our defenders, Koulibaly specifically, were trying to play a lot of these long balls forward, just completely bypassing the midfield. And this led to some issues. Uh, Jorginho would play some passes, would get caught in possession too. So it really was not a smooth transition through the midfield. And I feel like that's where we suffered the most. We gave Everton some counterattacking opportunities, and we had to have our uh, quite old defender, our Mr. Uh, Thiago Silva, saving us on more than one occasion in that first half. Yeah, and especially, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, second part of the first half, and then, uh, man, it's particularly early second half we'll get there. But, you know, right before halftime, uh, you know, there were, there were eight minutes added, but just even a few minutes before that, Chelsea finally started to spark to life. And, you know, N'Golo Conte, I thought a couple of times, even though it's not really his primary role out there to be that spark in the creative, uh, you know, in, in creating attack, I just thought he moved the ball quickly uh, a couple of times and it made a lot of difference. And he combined out on the right side with uh, with Reese James. Um, and, and, I, and I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Mount, but, James fired it in and Conte just you know the shot at Pickford that that was deflected and Sterling Sterling knocks it in looked like Chelsea opened the account Sterling's offside but but the ball into is it's a it's a fizz pass into the feet of Conte and he just one times it right at Pickford but because he took it early Pickford doesn't have his feet set he has kind of a it's kind of a low driven shot he has to he has to dive down awkwardly at it and 
exactly what we see oftentimes against Chelsea when teams finally do get their one or two chance a game and you just can fire something quickly at a keeper and make them react. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, you know, it's almost like hockey. Like, just get it on net and see what happens. And, you know, Sterling marginally offsides. But, but again, you saw for the first time, like, that's what I want to see is some really quick ball movement around the box and not just this sort of, you know, pass, touch, turn, look, pass. Um, you know, fortunately, I think for Chelsea, where they <laughs> – they were able to score. I think what I what they said on during the match was the second latest first half goal in Premier League history was in the ninth minute after Ben Chilwell gets taken down seven minutes into extra time, um, a, a penalty. Did you what do you think? I, I certainly thought it was a as a dumb penalty by Decore. At least you know I guys will always complain about penalties in the box, particularly when it's not just a clear cut diving tackle. Um, but you know Chilwell beats beats him pretty pretty easily and he has both arms wrapped around him so you know for me it's it's a pretty easy one i'm usually pretty strict about what i actually think is a penalty so many of the penalties i feel like we've earned over the past year or so i haven't agreed with but this one was as clear-cut as it was i mean ben chilwell got the better side of him and he made a pretty poor challenge as clear of a penalty as i could have imagined and Jorginho steps up and uh, fortunately i you know pickford has had Saved a few of him in the past, offed him in the past, and he forgoes the hop, skip, jump, and just uh, puts it nicely into the side netting on the left side. Pickford going the other way, and you know, probably uh, kind of an apropos way for Chelsea to start the season. A Jorginho penalty, his twentieth now goal in a row from the penalty spot. As yet, you know, that's it's been twenty goals since he scored from uh, from live play, and Chelsea take it. They go in and and just. Again, you feel not, I don't, you know, I don't ever going to feel sorry for Everton, but just from that neutral perspective, you know, between the injury early on to Godfrey and then giving a, you know, kind of hanging in there and then giving away a lead nine minutes into extra time at the end of the first half. Um, you know, it, it, you could feel like, man, that's really tough on Everton. And, you know, the idea again, can we come out in the second half and put them to the sword a little bit? Can we come out and either, you know, just, not sort of give them a bunch of life in a home stadium and a first match and have all those questions we see again. Well, no, not not at least in the first 10 minutes. Um, I thought that was the worst part of the game for Chelsea, the first 10 minutes after halftime, and surely the most uh, under under threat that the Chelsea goal was um, both – both uh, real, uh, really the closest I think was a was a Tarkowski header that that Mendy had to tip over the bar, but Chelsea just looked a little bit shaky multiple times. Um, Thiago Silva got put under pressure on a one on one against Damari Gray. Gray had all kinds of time, and and I thought you know I think Silva did a good job to deflect it wide, but you know suddenly uh, I I started to feel a lot of those same feelings in in, in the past. Of course, that's that's what a lot of you know, that, that's what it feels like when you're only up by one goal and you can't put a team away. So, um, you know, uh, what what were your thoughts? Did you think, did you have any other particular changes at that time you thought might be needed or anybody you wanted to see come in and try to change that momentum that was heading Everton's way? Well, I'm going to go back to the Jorginho penalty real quick because this is going to be the stat of the day. But uh, Jorginho is our third leading goal scorer on this team, which goes to show how goal deficient the players in our squad currently are. He's only behind Mason Mount by three goals as our leading goal scorer in all competitions. So that's saying something. He's there at uh, this was his 27th goal for Chelsea and Mason Mount's at 30. And uh, Jorginho will move into that number two spot when Marcos Alonso leaves. So it just really goes to show how much our... Uh, 
forwards are lacking. And a fun fact to that is after those players, we have uh, Michi Gachuai as our uh, soon-to-be third-leading goal scorer in the team. So Did, did, you, say, did fun. you say fun stat or nightmarish stat? That's terrifying <laughs> is what that is. But, I, well, and, hey, don't, you, Jorginho might get to the top here now that we have Sterling because he's earned the most penalties in the Premier League too. So I think between the two of them now, Jorginho is going to – He's gonna he's gonna soar even more. Okay, sorry about that. Oh no worries. As far as it went, though, it looked better. I think Jorginho looked a lot better in that second half. In the first half, he really struggled. He was getting dribbled past by a lot of players, and I think the goal really helped his confidence because he had a much better second half from that point going forward. Even though we didn't have as much possession of the ball, and even though we weren't getting our forward players I honestly looked up at one point to see if we had subbed off Raheem Sterling because he went anonymous for 20 or 30 minutes and it wasn't his fault we just couldn't get the ball forwards to him as far as the rest of the team went I our defense looked solid enough at times Uh, there were some issues with everyone around Thiago Silva including the goalkeeper Mendy had a couple of slip-ups here and there and looked shaky too with the exception of that really nice save on Tarkovsky but I have to say, it wasn't the most easygoing starts to that second half. And I kind of feel like uh, Tuchel's feelings were pretty much in line with how we felt as well. I would I would agree with you there. And I think that, you know, maybe it took just a few minutes longer than I thought. But, but at the 65th minute, he does make a double change and brings on Christian Pulisic and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And Loftus-Cheek comes on where I think we're going to see him play quite a lot, or at least, you know, with what the pieces we have in the squad are currently, comes on to play right wing back, and Reese James kind of makes a move. He's he he may move around a lot because of his versatility right now. Until we have a you know, if we sign another center back, that may not be the case. But uh, and then Mason Mount comes off, which you know I think under normal circumstances might seem kind of bizarre to see Mount come off in the 65th. But I think it was absolutely the right choice. I think Havertz could have been a choice there as well because I, I think you just pick one or the other. But Mount had had uh, you know, like you said, one of the horror matches in a Chelsea shirt and a lot of that had to do in part early in the first half with being man marked all over the pitch but we've seen him kind of almost take advantage of that in the past by creating open space for other players and in this case it just looked like he I don't know not so much that he was trying to force anything but that he just really couldn't ever get any rhythm rolling at all so he comes off and um, you know, I thought Pulisic, I thought he was fairly effective. I mean, he didn't do anything. It, it was kind of a typical, in my mind, Christian Pulisic performance, especially when he comes on in a sub where, you know, you almost get the feeling that he he's really committed to personally making a, a influence to the match and doing something big. Um, and he did some actually really good things. I thought in particular he earned three fouls. And in that phase of the game, once he came on, I mean, it was a really ugly match. We were clearly to my frustration, you know, really trying to waste a lot of time, um, especially late. And he took he took some really isolated one-on-two, one-on-three plays, bought time, and then took a foul. So, um, you know, I, I thought he played okay besides clearly he and Anthony Gordon had some, some sort of bet going about who could sport the worst haircut possibly in the whole league. I don't know. Um, there's got to be some other bad ones out there too. But um, I don't know. What do you think about Pulisic uh, when he came on? He, I I don't know if any of our attacking players really covered themselves in glory with maybe a slight exception of Sterling. Pulisic was fine. He does 
usually put in his best performances when he comes off the bench. I'm thinking that classic Liverpool performance that had us all thinking he was really an incredible player. But nothing overly exceptional. But to be fair, he made enough of a spark that a lot of our other players, Havertz and Mason Mounts in particular, did not have the same sort of impact. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's in part why why he's hard to start a little bit because you just don't always totally know what you'll get. But anyway, I thought it was a decent performance out of him. Uh, we've, I, what I was a little bit excited about was the next double change we saw 10 minutes later from uh, Mark Kukurea, new sighting. Obviously, um, I it's almost like you can't talk about him anymore from a neutral perspective without putting his price tag next to him because... Uh, which is just going to frustrate the life out of me, particularly after our conversation on the last pod about the relationship between Kukurea coming in and Colwell going out and it being, you know, uh, really essentially that the, that the price on Kukurea went up so that Colwell didn't go out on a permanent, which I think was a big score for Chelsea. And so, you know, but nobody's ever going to mention that because who why, that's less interesting than to just laugh at Chelsea for spending way too much on Kukurea. But at least he came in and looked fantastic, I thought. Um, I, I, I laughed. He's like the, like the quarterback who's just going to throw it 100 miles an hour as his receiver, whether it's a two-yard curl or a 70-yard fade because he just fizzing those passes in there. But he, was, he looked excellent. Uh, it just looked always like he had an outlet whenever he got the ball. Uh, and I thought looked you know what was was actually pretty key in in deflating some of the um, press from Everton when they were desperate to get back in the game it is funny when he was sitting next to Broja you wouldn't be able to tell which one was the 20 year old because I'm like wow Kukurea is really small (laughs) or Broja is really big but seeing them side by side and that is something we should just address real quick because it goes to show how quickly things change in 24 hours we thought colwell was completely gone and from that point it was entirely possible we were never going to see him again in a chelsea shirt and uh Kukure came in and i think he looked so much better than ben chilwell and obviously ben chilwell got us the penalty but what i was really impressed by was his composure At no point did he ever look hurried or under pressure, even when he was being uh, marked or when he was being pressed. And I think that really helped in relieving a lot of the pressure that was coming towards us from Everton. So I really liked his performance. I don't recall if he missed a single pass, but he looked good from the onset, even helped create a chance for us as well. Yeah, it was nice to see Broja. You know, I it, it's really hard in a match like that when there's a very specific purpose out there. You can't come and and start fresh and just be the you know target number nine. But I I thought he did a really good job. He obviously was a nice physical presence up up front when we were trying to kind of see out the game. He was able to earn a foul or two. Um, I, he looked pretty composed. He worked hard, and not only did he work hard, but he you know it wasn't just wasted energy. He was able to put players under pressure to to make a long pass into pressure or a bad pass out of bounds um, while we were again just trying to really not make things easy on Everton to, ever to progress the ball late. Um, but I, I, you know, he's a guy I'd really like to see. I think a lot of us would, obviously, but I'd really like to see him get some opportunity. You know, I, I don't think he's going to get a start against Tottenham next week, but I, I think particularly, obviously, if we don't bring in somebody like an Obama Yang, um, please, please know, then, then we're going to see this guy play a lot of minutes and, and find things out. So that was really cool for that, that those two to come on together, um, two very different player profiles. And like you said, it almost looked like uh, 
like they were like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or some kind of duo coming on. But um, I I like going back to Kukureya a lot. What I saw and I you know I, I made what may or may not be a bold prediction last podcast that I think he'll play more minutes this season than Ben Chilwell. But um, after only playing 15 today, I, I feel uh, I, I don't feel bad about saying that. I, I liked very much what I saw, and I thought that, you know, especially if he can have some, some positional flexibility like we're told that he can, then, then it's not just because I think he can play in that left wing spat Wing, wing back spot over Chilwell, but he can also play in that left center back spot if Koulibaly needs some time, uh, or if we shift around, you know, there some too. So, like like what I saw there, um, and really, I you know, Chelsea didn't didn't do a whole lot else except for one big final chance in the 83rd minute where um, Sterling connected nicely uh, down the left side with Kukureya and. Correa fizzed in a nice, uh, a really a hard cost. Got between two defenders, and Sterling put a put a ball on goal that would have been in. Pickford was off diving to his left side, but Mikalenko, who had shifted into center back after I, I forgot to mention Yuri Mina, Yuri Mina came off limping, came off injured, another center back injury for Everton. So Mikalenko had to had to move in there and made a nice nice block um, to to kind of at least keep Everton in the match and keep Chelsea from from taking it to two nil, but. Uh, yeah, that was kind of kind of it. Other than another twelve minutes of extra time that turned this into what what felt like a two and a half hour, almost three hour match. Um, not not a lot a lot of time, a lot of a lot of time of guys on the on the pitch, but not a lot of action for it being that that long of a match. I would say, but it, particularly in the second half, that that went okay for Chelsea, and for the first time in five years, Julian, they walk away from Goodison Park with with three points. So, you know, not the prettiest performance, but I I don't know. Do you, I, I still think they've got to be happy with, with three points. What say you? I always say that I'm old school in this sense. A 1-0 victory on the road is a great victory. No matter if it's against a 20th place team or the first place team, I will happily take all three of those points every single time. We both said that this wasn't going to be an easy match, and we didn't look at our best. We got some breaks and benefits as well, and I am going to very happily take these three points as next week is going to be one of our most difficult fixtures, especially in the early season. So having these three points secured is really vital going into this next match. So before we talk about the things we'd like to see improved or the things that concerned us, uh, so two things. One, what what you saw that you just say say good the things that stood out that that encouraged you from this match and then you know maybe give me along those lines give me your man of the match okay well I do have to give a shout out to N'Golo Conte I feel like this was a little bit more vintage N'Golo Conte he made some great tackles he was great in defense and he even provided some great attacking opportunities as well Raheem Sterling looked bright I hope he continues to look that bright Oftentimes we take these attacking players and you get a first couple of great games from them, like Romelu Lukaku, and then they taper off a little bit early in the season. So I really hope Raheem Sterling keeps his head up if the goals aren't coming and continues to play this way because he had an excellent performance too. The key contributor and the biggest standout for me, my man of the match, is without question Thiago Silva, which is a little bit of a frightening prospect. Our 37-year-old defender should not be our best player week in and week out, but he saved us on numerous occasions. He kept the defense in line. He saved Mendy on a couple of occasions too. So without question, while we had some good performances, I think Thiago Silva was head and shoulders the best player on our team. 
You know, I think that's a good choice, and I actually was going to say that it was N'Golo Kante for me. Um, I think Tiago Silva, ex- excellent choice, and I even considered uh, Koulibaly as well, although had, he, he only coming off at 75 minutes, um, I what I hope is just kind of precautionary fitness more than a, um, you know, a, a muscle tweak. Um, but I thought Kante playing the full 90 minutes, I thought he was, especially in the first half when we really struggled, I thought he not only saved our butts a couple of times in the penalty area with some really um, composed recoveries, but also, you know, he, he created what should what, what was nearly our opening goal of the match and also had a couple of other, um, I don't know, I just thought he was, he drifted well um, out of the midfield off to the, off to the wings and, and created um, nice interplay with, with our wing backs. Um, and, and partly because we weren't getting anything effective out of our actual wingers in mountain and Hoverts. Um, I don't know. I, I thought he just was kind of everywhere. Like Nkolo Kante is when he's fresh and when he's good. So, um, you know, uh, other than that, I thought, uh, again, just the performances of our, of our big signings. I mean, cool was really excellent. Um, I had to go back and look at that Chilwell penalty because I just had, you know, I remembered he, I like who played that ball in a Chilwell Cause I remember him getting it, you know, uh, it was it was a hard pass in, and he made a nice turn and brought down. And I I kept it was it was Koulibaly. It was it was an unusual play because Jorginho had shifted back to cover Koulibaly at center back, and Koulibaly was way up there on the left wing, and Chilwell had slid in, and and he's the one who fizzed the pass in, and um, it was you know like you said, he he was attempting to progress the ball sometimes maybe, uh, bypassing the midfield, but but really was effective and solid in the back. Um, and, and obviously we talked about Kukurea, um as well and Sterling. So I think just, you know, you'd like to see still some more fluidity throughout the team and a little bit more uh, intensity. But I thought that the individual performances of our new players were, were good for me. So, you know, switching over to the other side of things, what, what less so, obviously we, we, we mentioned the match in general wasn't a particular pretty match of football, but from a Chelsea perspective, and with Tottenham on the horizon, you know, what what stands out to you as more concerning? It definitely has to be the lack of potency from our attack, which has been an issue since Thomas Tuchel took over. We have never looked like a very firm attacking side. Like, we never look like a huge threat. And a lot of the criticism towards Lukaku last season came when he was hardly able to get a touch in this match. I believe Havertz had around 30 touches. Again, this is a continuous issue where our forward, our number nine, whoever's up there, struggles to get possession. And it's partially their fault, but it's also partially the fact that our midfield isn't necessarily the best at supplying that ball forward. And this was with Raheem Sterling having a really nice game. I guess you could say that we probably won't see performances this poor from Havertz and Mason Mount going forward. But our attack still just doesn't have the cohesion it needs, and it hasn't for years at this point. So that is a huge concern. I really don't know what's going to happen from this point going forward. Other concerns include the defense because they looked lost at times. They looked a little scattered. And I've said before that Jorginho isn't the best at covering our defense. He had uh, zero tackles, zero interceptions, really didn't offer a whole lot in defense. And with Conte playing a little for, more forward than he typically does, it left them exposed a lot. And we did have to have our defenders save us more often than not. Reese James didn't look good. 
Azpilicueta had a pretty average game too, so we really relied too much on Thiago Silva in this match. So a lot of areas that really need to be improved. Yeah, and N'Golo Kante in there, I think, you know, I saw some people wondering or before before the match started where, where Kovacic was in the starting lineup. And I think, for me, when you played, I can understand why you'd want to see Kovacic in a match like today. Because, again, you knew you were going to have this really compact back line, and he's one of our few players that can actually break lines individually. But I think when you've got Jorginho there, it... Conte, as you mentioned, Georgina, no tackles, no interceptions. I think Conte was three and two. So, I, you know, I think that's that's why he's there because even though he's not a traditional, um, you know, defensive midfielder, so to speak, a shield to the back four, he at least is active enough that he creates, you know, he creates havoc and he does create turnovers from the other team as well. So, um, you know, again, that's kind of why I think he's man of the match for me because he has to, he does have to. Not not to criticize Jorginho, but he does have to do that with a midfield partner who's not helping him out on that side of the game very much. So, um, again, we'll just cross our fingers that N'Golo Conte stays, keeps drinking from the fountain of youth and and also from the from the fountain of health because you know his fitness is going to be pretty important this season. And um, you know, uh, any anything else, Julian? Really uh, here, I think the the thing for me, the natural question is. You know where we start to turn a gaze. We take the three points, uh, as you rightly mentioned. Um, I'm I'm always going to take the three points. I don't care who it is. Uh, we saw Liverpool, as you mentioned, surprisingly drop points to Fulham, and 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 in some ways fortunate to take one point from that match. I just, I, yeah, you really can't take particularly uh, road trips in the Premier League for granted, um, and and per. And at a ground where Chelsea hadn't won in five years, and the last two times we won at Goodison Park, we won the league. So you know, well, really, if we're if we're looking for stats uh, that you know are encouraging, I'll I'll take that one right there. So uh, you know, I, I from a Tottenham perspective, I thought they looked good. Uh, obviously, Southampton got out to a lead, and then Tottenham pegged them back for four and won handily. But you know, Southampton's also a team that um, I think a lot of people are expected, just like Everton, to really struggle to stay afloat this season. So. Obviously, each I think each of these teams is going to get a lot more fair test. They get they got a they got a first match out. They got three points, but I think for those of us, you know, I think it's pretty easy to look at the score lines and that Chelsea performance and say, "Ooh, we're we're it's going to be scary next week." But you know, the other side of me is like, "When was the last?" Speaking of bogey grounds, when was the last time that Tottenham came to Stamford Bridge and played well? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty nervous about that game. They looked pretty good. I rate Conte really high. I think he's one of the best managers in the entire world. And I think he has really turned that Tottenham team around. So I don't think that that one will be easy by any means. I didn't think that this picture was going to be easy. But that one will tell us a lot more about our squad going forwards than this one did. We'll have a week to work with the players and maybe get things ready for that match. But it, it's definitely a concerning one. I don't see us as the favorites, even if it is our home ground going into that match. One of the big issues I had with our team today was it looked like Everton did want it more. They won more of these 50-50 balls. They worked a little harder than us, and we can't let that happen. But one saving grace is for whatever reason, no matter how bad we are, we always show up for Tottenham. And I'm really hoping that that's the case. I'm hoping we get our best performance, one of our better performances of the season out in that match next week. And we are able to get those three points. Because if we start out the season 
with six points going to Leeds, I think that there's a very realistic chance we could start the season uh, with three victories, but I'm not counting my points when we don't have them yet. Well, and beyond that is Leicester and then Southampton. So again, really not to even go further down and count more chickens, but um, you know, I that for me actually is while while the Tottenham match is obviously very important, and if we let Spurs come into Stamford Bridge and make some kind of statement win, that's gonna oh man, there's gonna be a lot of unhappy Chelsea fans. But for me, that's why today was so important because if you added that on top of a you know just sort of a ugly draw or loss on match day one in a ground that is very very possible to not win at, then. Then there's 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 actual pressure because you're talking about having one point out of two matches or something like that. Now, worst case scenario, we lose to a really good team with a really good manager and then are facing three winnable matches at that very least. So uh, West Ham being the fourth beyond that, which we haven't seen them play yet. So, um, you know, for me, uh, huge. But but um, Tottenham, like like you, I, it scares me as well because I think they're. Um, well, I, uh, when was the last time you saw about half of the pundits picking Tottenham to finish top three? I think that's that speaks for itself, right? Oh, yeah, without question. I picked them myself. If you asked me where I think they would finish right now, they are my third-place team, and they looked. I think they looked good enough to justify. And they look better than Liverpool's first match of the season, but it's just one match. So we'll take the season week by week. Well, with that, three points and three points at Goodison Park and without even a what I'd call even an average Mason Mount performance. That's the other thing. Um, I'll take that. I'll say that glass half full and I'll take it. So, you know, Julian, let me ask you this. Any final thoughts today before we depart? Uh, not really. Um, great performance, boys. Three points. I will always happily take three points no matter the circumstances. And mostly just so, so good to have football back. I mean, I got up today at five, my, my normal Premier League season return uh, routine, excuse me, getting up at the watch the early 530 match and then all the the multiple TVs going with with, uh, you know, back and forth with different matches on at the eight o'clock. And then finally, the 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 later match of the day. And it was nice to have Chelsea Chelsea featured in that one, although I felt a little bit for the neutral because I thought for those folks waiting for to kind of be the the peak match of the day. It was a pretty, pretty average performance and also went on and on and on. But uh, again, that's Chelsea for you. We'll, t- we'll take it ugly sometimes, but we'll take the three points and uh, you know, only sixth place for now, but uh, Ta- uh, Thomas, we still believe in you. So until next time uh, we'll, we'll see you here on. We ain't got no podcasts.